0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, the, spiritually speaking, the whole um, uh, foundation of, of the Jewish people is built on our, our holy fathers and mothers, but, but we're going to concentrate on the, on the fathers right now. Uh, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And that progression from Avraham to Yitzchak, from Yitzchak to Yaakov, and seeing them as a group together and feeding into the twelve tribes is—it's—it's it's important to understand just the dynamics that are at work between them, and um, and we can learn a lot uh, just about the Jewish view of everything and and um, about balance and and priorities and and the greatness of the avos, our our, our fathers themselves. Um, so so we're gonna. We're going to be learning from some very, very special sources, from from the Megalia Mukos, who's really one of the greatest rabbis, Kabbalists uh, in Jewish history, who's the chief rabbi of Krakow in around the 1600s, and was, uh, it says on his tombstone that he was visited many times by Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, which at this stage in Jewish history, well any stage in Jewish history, that you don't just put that on someone's tombstone, that's it's it's testimony that he was dealing in the, in this world and the, and the next world while he was still in this world. So, so we're going to be learning from him, and uh, God willing, maybe we'll be able to get to some, Jikover Rebbe as well, um, and uh, and God willing, some some Reb Shlomo Karlbach too. So and put them all together. So anyway, let's um, let me just begin by just telling you a. Uh, Something that happened to me this past week, which was uh, kind of fun, it was a new experience for me. I, I, uh, uh, I guess last Sunday I, I spoke at a. Um, I was on a panel at a at a comic book convention. Uh, it was called Stan Lee's Kamikaze Comic Book Convention. It was down in the L.A. Uh, convention Center, and the name of the panel was Heroes and Faith. And so they had a bunch of guys on the on this panel, and I don't know, there were maybe twenty or so people in the in in the, in the uh, audience and uh it was just such an interesting experience they they the first question they asked me was uh what's a hero? you know and i just i drew a blank you know because i was like and then i was then i was mad at myself that i drew a blank because the name of the panel was heroes and faith you know i figured i would be that prepared for for, for <laughs> to show up to this thing and the truth is, is that I actually did have something prepared, but it was like a very intricate medrash about, about the kings of Israel culminating in David and Melech and, you know, it's, an, it's very involved. And that really, I immediately realized that was not the forum to give over something as intricate. And so they were just looking for just a more simple answer, what's a hero? And I just kind of was staring at the floor, And after like a couple of moments, the moderator said, "Um, David. (laughs) And so I realized I just had to give some kind of answer. But then just something popped into my head. And I didn't even know where this was going exactly, but just to tell this story. So now you have to picture this. I don't think there were any Jews in the audience, by the way and several of them were dressed as superheroes. So there was like one guy with a Batman shirt on and another one with a Superman shirt on and another woman dressed as Phoenix, who's a, uh, a, a hero from X-Men comic books. So I, I said, um, I wanna tell you a story about the Sansa Revi, who's one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the great uh, Hasidic masters. And, um, one time he was, I heard this from Reb Shlomo, one time he was just sort of looking out his window and he saw one of his, his chassidim, one of his followers, and he called him over and he said, if you found a, a bag of money in the middle of the road, what would you do? And he said, well, you know, I would return it. I would find out who it belongs to and I would return it. And the Rebbe says back to him, fool, and he sends him away. And then he calls someone else over and he poses the same question to him. If you found a bag of money in the middle of the road, what would you do? And he says, Rebbe, I'm I'm ashamed to tell you, but, you know, times are very tough for me right now. And if I didn't see that anyone was looking, I, I think that maybe I would keep it. And the Rebbe said, wicked, and he sent him away. And then he called someone else over, and he said, what would you do? And the man says, well, Rebbe, I, I, would, I would like to think that I would do the right thing, and to return the money, that's what I would want to do. But I also have a yetsahara. I also have a negative inclination, and so I don't necessarily know what I would do in that moment, but I would hope to do the right thing. And he said, that's the right answer. and so i said that a hero is someone who's put into a particular situation and is able to do the right thing and they started applauding it was i think the only answer the whole panel where they just broke out in spontaneous applause and it's amazing that it's sort of like here like i say i don't you know i don't know for sure but i don't think there was anyone jewish there they were all dressed as superheroes or many were and but they heard a story, you know, from the Sanzarebi, and it just it's something something happened, you know. So really it was a it was a really special moment for me anyway. Um, so so like I said, I want to talk about Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. And and we're gonna start right now, we're in Prosha Vayetze. We're gonna start with Yaakov. And um And we'll we'll pick up his life at this point where he's leaving home and his brother has threatened to kill him and he's completely on his own. He's been robbed by Esav, his brother's son, who was really sent to kill him, but just robs him blind, takes everything from him instead because Jacob Yaakov explains to him that a, a poor man is likened unto a dead man. And so this way, his nephew, who I guess didn't want to kill him on some level, but also wanted to do his father's will, Asaph's will, thought that this was a good compromise. So he So he left him with nothing. So now he's walking around with nothing and being sent to his family far away. To um, to find a wife to to rebegin to, to start his life over again and he's um, he's I think sixty nine no sixty eight sixty seven something like that at this point in his life okay he's going to live much longer but nonetheless he's well into his life at this point and he's starting again starting from nothing uh, well that's not entirely true because he has you know a universe filled of Torah that he's learned. So that's, that's, that's a lot. Um, and he passes by a place. It's Friday night. It's about to be Shabbos. He's journeying on. And all of a sudden, he realizes something, which is that he's passed by the place where Avraham and Yitzchak have davened. And we're going to find out it's more than that they davened in a moment. But where they offered a sacrifice. And he sort of like is upset with himself that he passed by the place where his grandfather Avraham and his father Yitzchak had felt was like a holy place and that he hadn't offered something there himself. And so he doubles back and he turns around. And now this is where the sun is now setting and it's, it's becoming Shabbos. And a miracle is performed for him, something called Tfitsas saderich where the road itself is shortened, and he's able to travel a long distance in a very short time. And he's able to get to where he wants to go before it starts, before Shabbos begins. So he's able to keep Shabbos. And he goes to bed, and this is where he has the dream of the ladder going up to heaven. So just the circumstances are very interesting. This whole episode of him going past where his... Which, which was a holy place for him, and him not being aware of it, and then doubling back. That in itself is very, very significant. But, but let's continue on with, the, uh, with, with what happens next. He goes to sleep in this spot. And before he does it, he's concerned since he's sleeping out in the open, out in the wilds, really, that maybe while he's sleeping he's going to be attacked or even killed by wild animals so what he does is he takes 12 stones and he arranges them around his head so this would be a form of protection okay and um and the the torah uses the plural it says that he he arranged these stones and then in the morning amazingly it says that he lifted up the stone and so we understand from this, you know, inference that a miracle was performed during the night and that these 12 stones became one stone. And then he erects that stone and uses it as an altar in order to to bring an offering to God. So the, and then while he was sleeping, before this transformation with the stones occurs, he has this amazing dream about a ladder Planted on the ground, but reaching toward heaven with angels going up and down the ladder. So all of these and then and then he wakes up and, and Hashem speaks to him and promises him all sorts of things. And so so this is um this is very, very great. Yeah. Well he makes a he makes a deal with God, basically. Um, and, and, uh, and Hashem tells him that I'm with you and I'm going to guard you wherever you go. And then it says, I'm quoting from the Torah right now. It's chapter 29, verse one. So Jacob lifted his feet and went toward the land of the Easterners. Now he's going to continue on his journey, um, to find his wives and to set up the 12 tribes. But I just want to pause just to, to just, uh, Tell you something interesting about this Pasik. If you look at the at the at the Rashi there, it says, Jacob lifted his feet and went toward the land of the Easterners. So why does the Torah have to give you this piece of information that Jacob lifted his feet? Right? It's kind of weird. It could say he walked, or it could just say he journeyed to the land of the Easterners. What is this idea that he lifted his feet? Okay. And uh What Rashi says was, basically, I'm going to paraphrase the the Rashi right now, but what it says is is that Jacob now felt very good because God had promised that, remember, Jacob is in a very low place in his life right now, that that Hashem had promised that he's going to protect him, and he had this great dream and everything like this, and now Jacob was in a good mood. And it says, basically, Rashi brings that when you're in a good mood, you lift your feet. Like, in other words, have you ever seen someone who looks depressed and they're kind of shuffling along? They're just kind of walking like they've got no energy, no life in them? And have you ever seen someone who's sort of like walking with sort of a bounce in their step? And it's like, hey, that guy looks like he's in a good mood. Well, it's true. This is actually, there's actually a Torah source for this. And that when it says that Jacob lifted his feet, that's a sign that he's in a good mood, right? That he's been reassured. This is what Rashi says. Now, based on this, I want to say the following. You see, I heard from Rabbi Green once something sort of very surprising, but you have to really think about it because when you first hear it, it's going to sound like very improbable. But but he was actually drawing from another source. I don't remember who right now. But, you know, he was saying that basically, see, there there really is something, I believe, I mean, you can have your own opinion, but I believe that there really is something to handwriting analysis, meaning to say that how one, you know, writes that a certain aspect of their personality becomes manifest in their handwriting. And if you think about it, it it makes sense. You know, if you walk into someone's house and it's a complete mess, that's a form of handwriting, isn't it? I mean, you can probably tell something about their personality based on the house. Or if everything is actually just completely fastidious, like super neat, you can probably also tell something about their personality. You know, it's an extension it's an extension of themselves. So I, I don't think it's any different with one's handwriting, you know, and as people get more into it, they make certain inferences about certain aspects of it. But here's the point. Rabbi Green said, I heard him say, that if you alter your handwriting, you can actually alter your personality. <laughs> that if you and and I've tried at different points to write more neatly. And it takes a lot of effort. Like, like this is why I think that there really is something to this thought. Because it takes so much effort, and I'm using so many different parts of my brain, or it feels like I am anyway, when I'm trying to write neatly or more correctly, that I do feel as though there's something going on. Okay? So the reason why I tell you this is to get back to Jacob walking with a bounce in his step. Because I think that there's... Probably something to reverse engineering a good mood. In other words, like, if it's indicative of a good mood to sort of like walk with some sort of life to you, to lift your feet as you're walking, to lift your heels. Remember, Jacob means Yud-Ekev. That's how you spell Jacob. Yud is the highest point. Ekev is the heel. So the idea that he's lifting his heels, that's really he's lifting the essence of himself, so if a person walks with sort of like a little more vim and vigor, a little more excitement, I think that they can reverse engineer a good mood. Even if they're not in a good mood, I think that that can actually spark a good mood because it's, spend, it's sending the body and the mind on a very subtle level, perhaps, but the message, I'm in a good mood. And then the mind catches up with the body. Oh, I guess we're in a good mood now. <laughs> you know. So anyway, try it out. I think there's something to this. So anyway, let's go back to this moment where where Jacob lies down and with the 12 stones. Now, there's something really unbelievable that uh, it's just so deep that the Magali Amukos says. Now, remember, there's 12 stones here. And remember, Jacob is the culmination of the spiritual line of Avraham and Yitzchak. Now, now what what Jacob, what Yaakov is going to do is extraordinary. He's going to take the path of Avraham, which is chesed. This means kindness. And he's going to take the path of his father, Yitzchak, which is gvurah, which is really like, which is something that is closer to formation. It's, it's, it's putting boundaries on something. In other words, it's not just discipline, or it's not just strictness, or something like this. It's the idea to actually take something and to shape it. This is why women are more associated with gvura, and men more with chesed. Because the woman has the ability to sort of shape a baby inside of her, to bring a plan into more formation, right? So, But to reconcile these two opposing sort of spiritual energies, which seem to be going in opposite directions, takes a a great master. And so Yaakov becomes Tiferet, which is beauty, which is also associated with truth which is the ability to reconcile and harness these two polar sides of the spectrum and to bring it into a harmonious place in the middle. So this is Tiferet, okay? Now, look at how this is manifest, says the magalia Mukos, with the 12 stones. So, so listen to this. Remember, the 12 stones, the 12 stones that he arranges around his head become one stone. All right? Now listen to this. The Magali Muko says, let's count the words. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That's six stones. Right? That's six words correlating with six stones. Baruch, Shem, Kavod, Malchuso, Leolam, Vaed. This is the next passage. Blessed is Hashem, whose glorious name is forever and ever. And of course, the first passage, the Shema is talking about the oneness of God. So if you add those two up, it becomes 12. These 12 words correlate with these 12 stones. And what it's talking about is the unity of heaven and earth. And so what happens? These 12 stones become merged as one, and become one stone. Which is what Yaakov Avinu was able to do with his parents and his grandparents. He was able to take these two disciplines and mold them together as one. This is, bless you, this is an awesome, that's an awesome teaching, that's a heavenly teaching. Now he goes further and he says that if you look it's on the beginning of Vayetse In the Stone Chomish, it's on page 144. You see something also amazing. You see in the third line there, the second word, it says, Vayishkav. That word Vayishkav, which means to lay down. So it says that, in the English it says, he took the stones of the place, which he arranged around his head. Okay, we just talked about that. And now it says, and he lay down in that place. So that verb, and he lay down, Vayishkav, if you look at this word, the Magali muko says that you can divide it into two parts, okay? Vayesh, that's the first three letters. Vayesh means, and there is. Yesh means, I have or there is, right? And the second part is, Chav Vez, which is 22. Gamachio 22. Chav is 20, Vez is 2. So, and there is 22. Now, now this is really, really interesting. Because this says the Megale mukos refers to the twenty-two letter name of Hashem. And we're going to go into that a little bit more, to explain that a little bit more in a moment. But twenty-two is also the number of letters in the in the Hebrew alphabet. And what's very interesting on another level, I don't know if the Megale mukos is making this point, but We'll just pause before we get back to his teaching about the 22 for a moment. We know that uh, on a mystical level, our tradition is that God created the world out of the Hebrew letters. And if you want to understand that in maybe more of a contemporary way, each of the letters is like a different energy wavelength. And Hashem combined all the different energies and used them to create the world. So what's so interesting is that here our sages teach that the very first point of creation, and this, of course, correlates completely with the Big Bang theory, but it came thousands of years beforehand. The way God created the world was he brought one small, tiny, physical point of matter into existence and then expanded it out. But that first physical point of existence that God brought into the world was right where Jacob was sleeping at that moment. It was the foundation stone of the Beis Amigdash. And of course, Jacob realizes when he wakes up that he's sleeping right at the spot of the Beis Amigdash. So isn't it interesting that this name was very close, this name of God was very close to Jacob, this 22-letter name of God, and he's saying right here, he lay down is Vayesh Beis, and there is twenty-two, the twenty-two letters that Hashem created the world with in this spot where the first physical point of existence came into existence. That in itself is a, a remarkable correlation. That's 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 amazing. Now, now listen to this. Let's learn a little bit more about this twenty two letter name of Hashem. And I don't know that much about it, honestly, but I can tell you a couple of things. So if you go into the art scroll sitter here, there's a special prayer, and it's what we say during Birkas Kahanam. When when, When we get the priestly blessing, this is on holidays, although in Israel they do it every day in the you know, there are different traditions when you do it. The Sephardic communities do it even on, on Shabbos, even outside of Israel. And some even do it every day outside of Israel. And so, you know, whatever it is, we're still doing it. Um, either a few times a year or every single day or only in Israel or in Israel and outside of Israel all the time. So, so whatever it is. But it's it's an amazing blessing that Hashem sends through the Kahanam, through this special group of Jews, basically, descendants of Aaron Akoin, Aaron the high priest, sends this energy through them to bless the congregation. And um, there's a beautiful prayer that we say while we're receiving this blessing that Hashem should basically fix all of our dreams, which is an amazing thing. It's one of the most beautiful prayers in the whole center. Um, you know, we start off by saying, Rabboni Shalom, Master of the world, I am yours and my dreams are, are yours. I dreamed a dream, but I don't know what it indicates. May it be your will, Hashem my God and God of my fathers, that all my dreams regarding myself and regarding all of Israel be good ones. And it goes on and on. It's a, an amazing thing because, you know, if you think about it, why are we trying to fix dreams during this moment? Because the kahanim are really, like at that moment, channeling heaven and earth right now right they're bringing down this heavenly energy down to earth what happens when you dream a big part of your soul goes up to heaven you know so it's 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 a it's a very interesting correlation between dreams and channeling blessings you know so anyway if you look when the prayer is almost absolutely finished there's a paragraph that we say a special prayer that we say where we ask hashem basically to bless every aspect of our lives. You know, and it's a beautiful prayer, and it's a little bit longer, but we pray for, for everything in it. And it begins like this. May it be your will Hashem, my God and God of my fathers, that you act for the sake of your holiness, of your kindness, and the greatness of your mercies, which reach out for the sake of the sanctity of your name, the great, mighty, and awesome, composed of 22 letters. See, it says that right there. If you look on the bottom of 699, composed of 22 letters. This is the name of Hashem that the Magali Amukos says that Yaakov Avinu was tapping in right before he has the dream about the letter ascending to heaven, which derived from the verses of the Birkas Kahanim, the blessings of the high priest. And then it gives you like this long 22 Na- letter name of God okay now I always want to say because I think that people might get confused so I, I, I just feel it's my responsibility as someone who's giving over spiritual teachings about Judaism to just always make a public announcement when we're talking about the names of God so let me let me do it which is there is only one God the foundation of Judaism is that there is only one God it's not that our God is stronger than the God of other religions, or that our God is better than the God of other religions, it's that there is no other God. There is only one God. This is the foundation of our worldview. There is only one power, and it is Hashem. It is the master of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, the God of Israel, who created all people, and everyone is his children. But that's and remember, the righteous of all faiths, we say, have a share in the next world, in heaven. So it's a very inclusive view. As specific as it is, it's a very inclusive view at the same time. And that everyone, Jewish, non-Jewish, has a share in the Torah, right? We have our set of instructions, and the universe, the, the, the humanity has the what we call the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, the seven mitzvahs that are the universal mitzvahs. But everyone has a share in the Torah. And everyone has a, a part in this great plan to bring the world to its destiny, which is a perfected, a perfected world, without war, without hatred, without hunger, where we're all living in harmony with each other. OK, now, now hear this. If you turn to the next page. So, so just to, I'm sorry. Just to complete the thought about different names of God, we're only talking about Hashem. So, when we say different names of God, what we're talking about is that God manifests Himself in the world in different, with different qualities. In other words, sometimes there will be, um, say, a uh, an economic boom, right? Everything's going great. So, this might be an example of Hashem bringing chesed into the world, or Rachim, bringing mercy into the world, or kindness into the world. Sometimes there could be, God forbid, a, a great war. Many people die. So this attribute of Hashem's din, or justice, is coming into the world at that point. But it's always the same God, but we're just trying to zero in on what qualities are becoming most revealed and manifest at that moment. So we refer to this as different names of God, different qualities of God. But we're only talking about one, one God. We're only talking about Hashem. And just to make this even more real and perhaps more simple, you know, my name is David, but my children call me Daddy, right? Someone who just kind of meets me off the street, like one of my young son's friends might call me Mr. Sax, right? You know, other people might call me worse names, you know, so these are all, these are all different, you know, God willing, I'll have grandchildren, and they'll call me grandpa, right, you know, or, you know, so these are all me, but there are many different names, depending on which situation I'm in, I'm being, so to speak, revealed in a different way, or perceived in a different way. Right, But it's only still me the whole time. So again, this is, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about different names of God. Okay, That's just important for everyone to know as we go forward. Now, I want you to see something. This is a little technical, and you really kind of have to have the book in front of you in order to follow this. But I just think it's worth knowing, because normally speaking, the passages that I'm referring to right now, you have to say them very, very quickly in order to fit them into the, the little... Um, Nigin, the little tune that the Kohain is singing at that, at that moment. And so I zip through these things so quickly that I've never noticed what I'm about to share with you. And maybe you haven't noticed it either. So just as a public service, I want to point it out, okay? So if you look, I'm going to do this in the English, but it's true in the Hebrew as well. Now, if you turn to page 701, do you see these names that are in bold in brackets? These names of God that are, or these Hebrew words that are in bold in brackets, does everyone see these? Okay, so let's look at this first one. It says, you listen to the cry of Jacob. Okay? So interestingly, that's the first one because we're talking about Jacob here. This was the name of Hashem that, 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 that he was really tuning into in a unique way. So it's appropriate that, that he's named first. Now, this first name here, you see, it says in Hebrew, the word for cry is Aleph Nun Kaf Taf. Do you see that? Now turn back a page. Do you see this name of Hashem? Starting the first one? What does it say? Aleph Nun Kaf Taf. Do you see? Do you see on the bottom of page 699? In bold? In Hebrew? Aleph Nun Kaf Taf. Do you see that? Now turn the page on 701, the first Hebrew word there, the bold and the black. Do you see Aleph Nun Kaf taf? Yes. You see, what they're doing is they're taking, they're taking this name of Hashem and they're finding words which correlate with it and including them into the prayer, weaving them into the prayer. Now the last two letters of this first name of, of, of this 22-letter name of Hashem is what, Tuf Mem? Do you see that? Now turn the page. What's the next thing that you see on page seven oh one in bold? Do you see? Tough mem? Do you see that? So so and then that's true for the next name too. Pay Samak tough. You see that's the next one down? Now turn the page back to six ninety nine. Look on the bottom. That second grouping of names there on the bottom. Pay tough, Do you see? Hopefully everyone is following this. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a couple of nods. <laughs> do you see it? Toa, are you following it? No? Yes, a little bit? Yeah, you are. Okay. So, and then if you turn back again, you see again, tough Mem. And if you turn back on the bottom of 699, do you see the end of that second word is tough Mem? Do you see? Okay. So, so anyway, so this 22 letter name of Hashem is weaved throughout this prayer. That's the point. Okay, and this is, uh, which is very interesting because how many times do you hear people talking about the 22 name of, <laughs> letter name of God? <laughs> and how many times do you realize, oh, I'm drawing on it every time there's Birkas Kahanam. So, So this is actually something that people are using and probably not aware of. Okay, so now let's go further. Because I want to get back to the Megalei Mukos and something, again, amazing that he says about, uh, let's just reset the scene again. We have Yaakov Avinu is falling asleep in this area. These 12 stones are about to become one stone, right? Six and six, 12 stones. Shema Yisrael, Shem Kavod, merging together, heaven and earth, merging together. Yaakov Avinu, the merging of Abraham and Yitzchak together, right? You have all this unity taking place, and this idea of the twenty-two letter name of God, which he's drawing on, which is tapping into Birkas Kahanim. Now, where did the Kahanim do Birkas Kahanim? In the Beis Hamikdash, right in the Holy Temple. So again, another amazing level that he's tapping into this name of Hashem in this spot, which is not only the spot of creation, where God took the Hebrew letters, which are 22 letters, and brought the first physical point of creation, which is in this spot. But we've got this additional level that this 22-letter name of God is what the kahanim, the high priests, the, 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 all the Kahanam are blessing Israel with in this spot, which is the Beis mikdash, right? So, but now, the Magali Mucos points out two other names of God that there's a 72-letter name of God that was really close to Abraham, he says. Okay? And then there's, with Yitzchak, a 42-letter name of God that, y- that Yitzchak would zero in on. All right? Again, only one God, but each had a different path, and we're zeroing in on how to connect with the one true God, you know, in the in, in in the in the path that 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 was customized for their soul. Okay, we're going to get to that in uh, in a little bit, God willing. So the Megalia Mukos wants to add all of these numbers together. So he says, the se- if you take seventy-two, which is the the name that Abraham was focusing on, and forty-two, the one that Yitzhak was focusing on. And 22, the one that Yaakov was focusing on, it adds up to 136, which is the gematria, the numerical equivalent of the word sulam, which means ladder. And that's what Yaakov dreams of at that moment, the ladder going up to heaven. Now, I have the chills. That's an, that's, an amazing, that's an amazing thing. Because again, The point is, Yaakov is this amazing integration and culmination of Avraham and Yitzchak and he's consolidating all these forms of service together and you see it reflected in the fact that when you add up all these names of God together, it spells Sulam, which is ladder, which is the connection of heaven and earth. In other words, on a very deep level, remember, Yaakov is now going to wake up And what's going to happen? These 12 stones are going to become one stone. Meaning to say, he's now going to take this avoda, this this ability to connect with the infinity of God because the ladder that he dreams about is planted on the earth, but it reaches all the way up into the heavens. And he's able to take this this derech, this way of connecting to the infinite, and pass it on to his 12 tribes, who will do it in 12 different ways, but serve God as one. Because the 12 stones are going to have individuality and yet a united purpose by becoming one. So the the spiritual dynamics going on right here are are amazing. They're they're absolutely amazing. Um, Now listen to this. I want to add a thought from me, which is, complementing this process right now. Because as much as as all this is true, I want to go back a step and and add one more thing. Now remember, Yaakov Avinu goes past this space and then he all of a sudden realizes, how could I go past the space of my father's? I I I I went past this special space where, where Abraham and Yitzchak were, and I didn't make an offering. See, there's a level of consciousness there to put himself in this divine flow, and so he returns and he comes back. Now let's go a little deeper. Now, what happened in this very spot? This is where the Akedas Yitzchak took place. This is where Abraham bound Yitzchak. Okay, now what, what is that And sort of on a mystical level? What is that whole notion of Abraham binding up Yitzchak? So the idea that I heard, I, I can't quote the source right now, I'm sorry, but it's a very exalted source. The idea is that Abraham, whose chesed, Right. This stands for kindness, and Yitzchak, who's Gevorah, thats really strength—that when he was binding up, when he was binding up Yitzchak, what he was doing was merging his chesed with Yitzchak's Gevorah. In other words, Avram was taking his primary spiritual attribute, and he was tying it. He was, so to speak, merging it with Yitzchak's, and now you have. Yaakov in this same spot as the recipient, as the vessel to receive the previous two energies. Now, with all of this in mind, this is one of my favorite teachings. Listen to this. The Torah says that there were these stones Right? And it becomes one stone in the end. Right? The word in Hebrew for stone is Evan. Now Evan is a fantastic word. Because here's how it's spelled Olive Bez Nun. Very simple word. Olive Bez Nun. But now listen to this. It's actually the merger of two words. Because Aleph and Beis spell father. Those are the first two letters. But the second letter and the third letter, Beis and Nun, spells Ben, which is son. And so the word Evan, stone, is a merger of father and son. And this is a rock, is something that, you know, when you want to talk about something that's steady and can't be broken... You say, he's like a rock. He can't be moved. This is something that suggests permanence. Even Hashem is compared to a rock. The rock of my salvation. You know, we don't just compare God to anything. If we're comparing God to a rock. That's a big deal. That means totally solid. Totally dependable. So you see the word Evan is the merger of Av and Ben, father and son, in this rock-like formation. And that's exactly what's taking place here. The 12 tribes coming together as one solid rock. The Messorah, the handing down of tradition in, in, in Judaism from parent to child, parent to child, in this unbreakable way. All of these dynamics are being played out here. Now, now, let's go a little bit more into this idea of the ladder. And there's something very beautiful that, uh, that, that, that Rav Shlomo is, is bringing out, and then also the Magalia Mukos. So, he says that if you look at the first four words of this Parsha, this is the Magalia Mukos, something very, very deep here. It says Vayetse Yaakov mi Bershava. Now remember, the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. And it's functioning on so many different wavelengths. And just our greatest our greatest people who have refined themselves so that their their soul is really basically totally in tune with the more infinite levels of the Torah. They can see these things and they can derive, bless you, and they can derive very real teachings, very concrete teachings from them. So listen to this. It's a very mystical thought, but it's, 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 it's beautiful. If you look at the last letter of these four words that the Parsha begins with, it's Olive bez resh ayin which spells out the word arba, which means four. And the Megali Muko says that there, from this you see, or this is an illustration anyway, that there are four angels that accompany a person always. And because here is Yaakov, he's leaving Beersheba, he's on his own. You think maybe he's all alone. And yet you see, even in this moment where maybe it looks like he's all alone, it's hinting at and it's telling you that, no, there's these four angels that are surrounding him and protecting him. Now, I had learned that uh, Friday morning, and then Friday evening at dinner, uh, one of my favorite teachers and friends uh, from Yerushalayim, uh, Rabbi Gedalia Gerfein was there, and he, he just independently said, um, this teaching and I was sort of amazed that, the, the, that he was saying it the same day that I had just seen this about the Arba and the four angels. And so he said that the, the Sfas Emes is talking about Gomorrah, and he says that Gemara is ac- actually, so how do you spell Gomorrah? It's Gimel, Mem, Resh, Aleph. That's Gomorrah. Gomorrah means Talmud. It's the oral law. And we're going to get more into that in a, in a bit. So, that's the Talmud, the Gomorrah. So so the Emes says, what is it's it's actually an acronym. What does Gomorrah stand for? The Gimel stands for uh, Gavriel. It stands for the four angels. Wow. Gavriel, the Mem, uh Mikhail, the Resh, Raphael, wow. and the Aleph Arya, Oriel. So so these are this is uh it was funny to hear that teaching just coming off of this teaching, you know? But anyway, let's go further. So the Megale Amuko says that this ladder represents a human being and that the angels going up and down the ladder are these angels that surround a person and that there are really two aspects of a person's soul. There's the, now you know, there's five parts to the soul. There's the nephish which is really that thing which is animating the life force of a person. It's keeping the heart beating, the blood pumping, this, this type of thing, okay? The lungs inflating. That's, that's the nefesh. Then you have the ruach. Then you have the neshama. But then there are two aspects of the soul which are actually outside of a person. It's all one soul, but it's outside your body. The chaya and the yechidah Okay, and this extends all the way up to the Kisei HaKavit, up to the throne of glory. And just one thing that you should know from this is that, you know, a, a beautiful way to look at another person is to understand that they don't end at the top of their head. That every single person, really because your life force extends all the way up to the throne of glory in heaven, that every single person is a giant, you know, no matter who they are. Just the fact that they're up and they're walking, they're, everyone's a giant, really. And to sort of relate to another person in that way, you'll, you'll find that you'll be according them more dignity and respect, you know, if you look at them that way. So, so now, based on this idea that the bottom of the ladder is planted on the earth and the top of the ladder is in the sky. The Magali Amukos wants to say that there are two aspects to a person's soul. That there's the aspect which is really in their body, which is more sort of keeping their physicality going. But then there's this aspect to the soul which is actually able to grasp very divine and majestic and heavenly things. Right? So, So this is the... The, this is the upper part of the ladder, the part of the ladder that's in the heavens. Now, with this in mind, I want to transition to a thought from Rabbi Shlomo, but building on this idea. So, you should know that the second volume of Evan Shlomo, the Torah commentary of Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, just came out. And it's on these Parshas now, starting with this week's Parsha Vayetze. And you can get this book. Um, from Urim Publications. Um, and I definitely recommend it, and uh, it's very great. It was put together by Rabbi Shlomo Katz, and I had the privilege of, of working on it as well. And um, anyway, uh, so drawing on one of the Torahs here in Vayetze, Rabbi Shlomo says the following, and I'm paraphrasing, but but the idea that every single person is so special, and you can walk up to a person and say, you're the best, and you can walk up to another person and say, you're the best, right? And you're not contradicting yourself because each person has a very unique quality to them. And they are really the, the culmination of that particular attribute. And so what does it mean when a person like really loves someone? They are sort of zeroing in on that attribute that that person has, and they're recognizing it, and they're responding to it so that's so when a person you know when a person feels loved oftentimes they really feel loved when they when they feel intuitively that the other person is noticing that special quality that's unique to them, you know, and so if you want to Love someone better, try to locate that aspect of them that you really feel is their uniqueness and really embrace that part of them. And I think that then they're really going to feel loved. You know? A lot of times people will say, You know how I can love you more? If you, and they zero in on the other aspects of them, <laughs> and they say, If you change this <laughs> and you change that. Then I'll love you more. But, you know, that that I think is perhaps a later stage. <laughs> First, maybe zero in on what's their unique quality. Because that will be almost like, you know, have you ever seen this done where you take um metal shavings and then you take a magnet and you hold it up a distance and all the shavings stand up, right? If you are able to tune into that special quality that's unique to that person, it's like they're going to feel, you know, their metal shavings are going to stand up, you know, meaning to say they're going to respond. They will respond, you know. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite teachings, I heard it from Jeff Mann, that the, the esrog, which stands for the heart, you know we of course connected with uh the holiday of sukkot that 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 an esrick has bumps on it, and that these bumps are actually the 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 yearning of the heart the heart actually reaching out that's what these bumps are because the esrick is the heart so these bumps are so to speak the 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 heart responding to god to god's love if you will um So now, Reb Shlomo makes another point, which is very beautiful. He says that if you look in the commentaries, the Torah commentaries of the Rush and the Ran, who are two of the greatest uh, Torah sages, that you'll see that oftentimes they'll say the same thing. But they'll say the same thing in completely different ways. So it's an interesting point. What Reb Shlomo is bringing out is that every single person has their uniqueness, and sometimes... Two people will even say the same thing, but they'll say it in a completely unique and different way. So as much as it seems like they're saying the same thing, each of them through their own uniqueness is actually arriving at a completely independent of the other one. And with this in mind, one of the sort of more perplexing things in the Torah is, we know that every letter in the Torah is is absolutely crucial and indispensable. And, and of course, everybody knows that if a Torah scroll is missing one letter or if one letter is even damaged, that the entire Torah scroll is not kosher. You can't even use it. You can fix it, but you can't use it. So so if every letter and if the crown of every letter is so indispensable, how could it be that when it talks about the dedication of the tabernacle in the the, uh, desert... Right? The first the prototype of the base Mikdash of the Holy temple in Jerusalem. How could it be that it goes through the offerings that each of the twelve princes of the twelve tribes made, and each offering is almost a paragraph long, and all twelve of them brought the identical thing, and it lists each one beginning to end as though it's completely different, in other words. It's this it's, it's, it's astonishing amount of ink spent on what seems to be the most repetitive sequence in the entire Torah. Right? Why not just say, and all 12 tribes brought, and then list what they brought. But it doesn't say that. It says, and the leader of, you know, Yehuda brought, da 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 And then the leader of Yisacher brought, and then da-da-da-da-da. it's the same thing. And it does that all 12 times. So they say that each one, and these are incredibly specific contributions that they made, which makes us absolutely miraculous, that each one of the 12 princes arrived at these gifts independent of each other. So, it's, uh, there was sort of this group mind, but everyone arrived at it on their own. Okay, now with this in mind, with this in mind, Reb Shlomo points out a very interesting dynamic between the written Torah and the oral Torah. The Torah Shabek the written Torah, which is the same for everyone because if you go into a store and you buy a Torah book, you know, if I buy it and you buy it, it's going to be the same book, right? So that's the same. The written Torah, the Torah that's in the Torah scroll, that's the same. But then you have the Torah Shabal Peh, the oral law, also known as the Talmud, also known as the Gomorrah, right? And that, every single person is drawing out something different, which is the uniqueness and the individuality of every single person. So this is the top of the ladder. So the bottom of the ladder, so to speak, you know, while it's still clothed, while we're still in a body, that's like the Torah Shebek right? That's the written law. That's, that's what's been revealed, But then as someone sort of elevates themselves, they're able to pull out and extract all these unbelievable teachings. And that's already on the level of Torah Shabal Peh. So just to review, and uh, we'll begin to wrap it up. Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, our father, is the culmination of Yitzchak and Avraham, his grandfather, going back in the other direction. And now, let's just say over just a couple of amazing Torahs from the Jikover Rebbe. Right? You know, the Jikover Rebbe is the he's the grandson of the Ropeshitzer Rebbe and he wrote this book called the uh, Imre Noam. And this is before computers, before calculators. And he taps into the Torah in like this super brilliant way and pulls out all these gematrias that are just like amazing. One after another, hundreds of them. So, so, so I was learning. See, let's just take it in the one more step in the other direction. Because, because Yaakov's greatest student was Yosef. Okay. And this is really like, this is, the, the, this is the, the next generation. And it says everything, all the events that happened in, in, in Yaakov's life also happened in Yosef's life in a, in a different way. And in fact, Parsha's Vayeshev, next week's Parsha, um, the second Pasuk is, Eli Todos Yaakov Yosef. And, and the sages all comment the fact that it says Yaakov Yosef, that it's a continuation, Yaakov, and then immediately the next word is Yosef, is that everything Yaakov had, he gave over to Yosef. And of course, in terms of Torah knowledge and everything like that, we know that there was a super special relationship between Yaakov and Yosef. Um, by the way, I, I noticed that their names are the same name. Because Yaakov is Yud Ekev. Yud, of course, represents the highest dimensions, that letter, like the Yud of the Yud Kevavke, right? That's the highest levels. Akav means heel. That's the lowest part of your body. So in other words, Yaakov is a fusion between the highest aspects all the way down to the lowest, heaven and earth coming together. And we said that everything Yaakov had, he gave over to Yosef. Yosef, if you rearrange the last letter, three letters of his name, it spells Sof, means end. So his name is Yud Sof, which is also Yud, the highest aspects. Sof means the end. So you have Yaakov Yosef, it's the same name. And of course, Yosef is Parsha's Miketz. We call, we call it Ketz HaMashiach. Sof, meaning the end of days. So that's, okay, and we also have this concept of Mashiach ben Yosef, right, which is, which is the, you know, the, the point man, so to speak, in terms of bringing us to the end of days, Mashiach. Now listen to this, you ready? Yaakov in Gematria Melui. Now let me just explain the system to you. uh, it's, it's funny because I've, I've known about it for years and years and years, but only really this week did I appreciate the greatness of this form of gematria. And let me just, just conceptually I'm talking about. So let me just try to explain it to you. And I'm going to tell you an unbelievable gematria from the Jikover, okay? On the, on the word Yaakov in a moment. The mului, okay? Malui means filling. Okay? Or if you want to think of like the stuffing, Okay? Now each letter, see if I tell you, give me the letter Yud you would just draw like a little point, a little line, a little dot, and you'd say that's a Yud, right? It's not really a Yud. You know why? Because Yud is a word. It's not just a symbol. That first letter that you draw, if I say draw a Yud, give me a Yud, and you draw a Yud, that's that's just the sign of a Yud. Yud is actually a word. Yud, Vav, Dalet. That spells Yud. Okay? So if you want to actually spell out a word to derive what the numerical equivalent of the word is, you would actually have to spell out the word Yud. Not just give me the symbol or the first letter. Do you understand? And you'd have to do that with every letter. You'd have to spell out the name of each of the letters. And then you can tell me the numerical equivalent of the whole thing. Now, let's go back to the word yud. So now we have a very interesting dynamic. When you write the letter yud, you're just writing the outside, the visible aspect of it. But there's the stuffing, the malui, the inside of it, which I'm not seeing. The invisible aspect of it, or even if you want to say the soul of it, perhaps. That might be taking it too far, but nonetheless, the inside of it, Right? I don't want to just see the superficial quality of it that you just write down on a page. I want to know what's the inside of it. Okay, so now there's a form of gematria where you, when you take a word, you spell out the name of each letter, and then you only take the inside part of it. In other words, you, 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 you don't... So for yud, you would, you would leave out the letter yud, and you would just add up the two letters which form the inside of it, Vavindalit which also happens to be 10, by the way. But nonetheless, that would be the mului of the word yud, of the letter yud. Okay? Everyone with me so far? So that's an interesting thing. It's a form of gematria to say, well, what's the inside of the thing? And then there's a way to to uh, quantify that in Torah. All right? So now that you understand the system, listen to this. What did we just say? Ele todos Yaakov Yosef. Right? That everything that, Yaakov had, he gave over to Yosef. So the gematria of the Malui of the name Yaakov, meaning the inside of Yaakov, right, is to the number. It adds up to Mashiach ben Yosef. <laughs> the inside of the name of Yaakov adds up to these words, Mashiach ben Yosef. Yes. 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 Yeah. It adds up to those words, Mashiach, uh, Mashiach ben Yosef, the inside of Yaakov. Hmm. So that's um, that's amazing, and it's just another, just another uh, sort of like uh, revelation of the light of the Torah. You know, the great light of the Torah. And I'll just conclude with something that uh, um, G'dayah Gerfan shared with the Kihila at the Happy minyan on Shabbos that I loved so much. He said that, um, you know, that he was thinking that, you know, everyone sort of responds to sort of like sort of more kind of Kabbalistic and mystical things. Because why is that? Because we're here on earth and we're, we're directing our minds and our hearts toward heaven and we want to understand the heavens, basically. It's a it's a beautiful sort of yearning of the soul that's coming out. He said, and, and that's what blows our minds. But what, he said, blows God's mind. <laughs> like, okay, that's us looking up. But how about Hashem looking down at us? What amazes God? That's the question. So he says, it's it's going in the other direction. It's when we do, when a person takes a coin and gives it to a poor person, that's blowing God's mind. When a person sort of does the right thing, like here we are in this space and we're completely engulfed in godliness and that simultaneously we can't see him at all, right? And yet we're from this incredibly constricted place, sort of transcending our doubt and our physicality and putting more light into the world and wrestling with ourselves to do the right thing, that blows God's mind. And um, and then he added one more story. He said that that there were some Hasidim, sort of all kind of, Talking with each other, and each was saying that their Rebbe was the greatest Rebbe. And one says, You know, my Rebbe is so great, he took his gartel, the belt that you put on when you pray, and he put it over across a river and he walked across the river on his gartel. And the, the next chassid says, My Rebbe is even greater. And he tells a story about his Rebbe. And then the, the next chassid says, My Rebbe is the absolute greatest. Because whatever he says, God does. And then someone who wasn't Hasidic walked over to him and said, my rabbi is greater than all your rabbis. And they said, yeah? And and he says, yeah. Because whatever God says, he does. (laughs) Okay, have a great week. Just David's plenty of plenty enough <laughs> okay. so I, I just want to add one more thing just to connect something that I wanted to say so which is which is really the the, the greatness the, the greatness and the the amazing opportunity that that we human beings have in this world and this is sometimes maybe a challenging thing for people who are especially growing up in, in contemporary culture, which is um, America stresses two things um, simultaneously, individuality, and also um, uh, as long as you're not hurting me, you can do whatever you like. So in other words, there's a, a very the, – this, this idea that every single person is um, – a complete free spirit and responsible to no one um, is very much ingrained in our, in our in our culture in our society to to the extent that if we grow up with that primarily and especially over a, a lifetime, we almost think we 're betraying ourselves if we find out that there's another system which which suggests a, a much more rigorous structure to it, like torah does. so we wonder you know then we wrestle with ourselves like like am I sort of giving away myself in order for this thing. What is this thing? And is it you know, it's so there's a kind of like a contest that goes on in a person's soul and mind often. Um, but here you see that really both sides are really balanced. Because again, we have this idea of the Torah Shabak Tzav, the written Torah, but then we also have this idea of the Torah Al-Pen, that a person has the ability to draw out in an incredibly unique way that is just individual to them, secrets and truths of the universe, right? And similarly, we see that as the Magalia Mukos is bringing out that Abraham had this 72-letter name of God and, 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 and Yitzchak this 42-letter name of God and, ya- and Yaakov this 22-letter name of God. And again, just so that we shouldn't be confused, we're only talking about one God And they're all keeping the same mitzvahs of the Torah. Because it says Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov all kept the 613 commandments. Okay, even before the Torah was given. Okay, that's a subject in itself. But nonetheless, we have this idea, and this this is the great balancing act of being a human being, which is that we have a very particular path. Right? But at the same time, we also have this, great amount of individuality. And and so we have the ability to bring it out in beautiful new ways, but what you want to bring out is something ideally that isn't totally new, but a beautification of that which is true and real, meaning the Torah itself. And we talked about this the other week, but I don't think we said it uh, on the tape, which was the greatness of the service of Yitzchak Avinu. Because remember, you have Avraham, who's the first Jew, and Avraham, who's basically, he has a currency. Remember, he had a a coin that was considered the most trustworthy coin in the entire world. Everyone wanted to deal with his money um, because he was considered so honest. He consulted with kings. He fought in maybe what was the first world war, and was victorious, the four kings against the five kings. So Avraham, and he was this great monotheist, and you know he was thrown into a furnace and survived. I mean, what, what I'm trying to tell you is, on some level, it would be very hard to have that as a father. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you just want to talk about family dynamics right now. You know, you have a father who's like, maybe the greatest person that ever lived. And now you have to be the son to that father. How do you be the son to that father? Right? Because everyone wants to manifest their individuality and their own personal greatness. Right? So how do you compete? Well, what was so amazing about Yitzchak was he took the path of his father, but he made it his own. And this is the story of the digging of the wells. Because Abraham dug all these wells and the plishtim, team, the enemies of the Jewish people, plugged them up, and then it says Yitzchak went and he redug these wells, but he named them the name that his father had named them. So, in other words, Yitzchak did it his own; he did his own work. He dug the wells, but whose wells did he dig? He dug the wells of his father, and then named them what his father had named them. So, simultaneously. They were a representation of the uniqueness of Yitzchak, of the greatness of Yitzchak, and yet it was done within the Masorah, the handing down from parent to child, of his father's tradition. So, so this is our challenge, as Reb Shlomo put it in another way. We dip challah Friday night, we take challah and we dip it in salt. So challah is only good if it's fresh, right? Bread, you want bread to be fresh. But salt is a preservative. So it keeps something old. So you take the new and you dip it in the old, and that's the Torah way. Right? And I heard Rabbi Green say one time, you know, everyone wants to, well, people feel very good when they have what's called a chiddish in Torah, meaning a new insight in Torah. But I heard Rabbi Green say, you don't want it to be so new that God never heard it. <laughs> Because if God didn't hear it, then, you know, know, that's probably wrong then. You know what I mean? Like, we don't like to say that in America. No, that's actually wrong, but it would be wrong. So in other words, there's a lot of, there's a broad expanse. I, I gave a talk, if you ever want to hear it, called creativity versus truth. There's a broad opportunity to be creative, but at a certain point, you want to make sure that it's still true. Right? Because, and ideally it's both. That's what we strive for. That's this idea of or chadash al Sion ta'ir, that a new light will come out of zion, of Zion. Right? And Rabbi Wolfson says, don't say a new light, but a light of newness. Mm-hmm. That we should all be alive, a light of newness. But at the same time, you want it still to be the light that that God himself sort of designed. Okay. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah.